0: Problems in your right shoulder. It, it, it's like I, I, I feel it kind of in this front part of the shoulder. Uh, I, I feel like it's something that doesn't bother you terrifically all the time, but there's a certain position or certain motion that it, that it really reacts to. Does that describe anybody here? A couple people. Okay. Would you, do you mind coming up? Do you mind if I pray for you? How long have you had, had that problem with the shoulder?
1: Mm.
0: Now, am I, for, am I praying for you or your dog? Oh, okay.
1: For, for several years. Okay, okay. And does it seems it to be exacerbated by uh, cell phone, you know, doing, doing stuff here right now. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Amen. Stretch out your hands towards her. I'm supposed to grab the thing, aren't I? What are you asking me? I don't. Hang on for just a minute. You're hanging on? Yeah. Awesome. That was my morning, Sunday morning rebuke from my daughter for not having my fob. So, Father, we just release your healing power right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we just command muscles, bones, ligaments, tendons, everything involved here to be totally and completely healed. Father, I pray for a creative miracle. Let this injury be totally and completely gone. Give her full motion full mobility right now in Jesus name. Can you feel that heat? I do. (laughs) Thank you Lord for what you're doing. We just give you praise. Just declare a new shoulder. New New things. All things new in the name of Jesus. Now see how that feels. Just move it around a little bit and there's no wrong answer.
1: Right. I I have pretty good mobility anyway, okay. but there is that tension. That, uh, a lot of it's from my neck.
0: Okay, now, is, it, is there pain or is it tension?
1: Um, it's pain.
0: Okay, is it, is it about the same as it was or diff- any different? Um,
1: it's a little different, but okay. closer to the same.
0: Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your healing touch in Jesus' name. <coughs> Muscles, we command inflammation, we command tension. To go. We command pain to be gone yes. in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your healing touch. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Now, see if that's any different.
1: That's wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> yes, that pain is gone. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God.
0: Now, you can do that really hard with that shoulder now. Okay, okay. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. Isn't God good? Quanto tempo, tempo How long have you had this? It went away when you were praying for her. <laughs> did, you, did you hear that? Now, we call that collateral blessing. You've heard of collateral damage. This is when, when I prayed for her and his pain went away. See, now, that, that happens all the time. My wife was praying for somebody in the back of the church one time, and a gal just walked by and God healed her back. But so, so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for what you've done. <laughs> Father, we just pray for total and complete healing in Jesus' name. Amen. And this guy, too, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. All right. God is good. And he's pretty fun, too. You know, I, uh, I love... Praying for the sick? Because I love to see the sick healed. I love to see sometimes you pray for somebody and you get ready to ask them if they're healed and they've got this big smile on their face and you already know that God has done something. Proverbs chapter 3. I want to read these to you. Uh, These are from a book called Disorder in the American courts and are things that people actually said in court, word for word, taken down and now published by court reporters (laughs) who had the torment of staying calm while these exchanges were taking place. Attorney, what gear were you in at the moment of impact? Witness, Gucci sweats and Reeboks. Attorney, this myasthenia gravis, does it affect your memory at all? Witness, yes. Attorney, and in what ways does it affect your memory? Witness, I forget. (laughs) Attorney, you forget. Can you give us an example of something you forgot? These these things really happen. (laughs) Attorney. Now, doctor, isn't it true that when a person dies in his sleep, he doesn't know about it until the next morning? (laughs) Witness. Did you actually pass the bar exam? (laughs) Attorney. The youngest son, the 20-year-old. How old is he? Witness, uh, he's 20. (laughs) Attorney, were you present when your picture was taken? Witness, are you kidding me? (laughs) I think that's about all you can handle today. But I I have a few more. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 3. We're in the third part of a series talking about stewarding Natural resources. It's an amazing thing that that God uses the natural to prepare us for the spiritual. Or there are many things that we walk through in life that are actually training us for the kingdom. And the proper stewarding of natural things actually positions us to steward supernatural things. But Jesus said, if you've been unfaithful with unrighteous mammon, who will entrust to you the true riches? So we've been talking about the blessing of obedience, the blessing that comes into our lives as we honor, honor God and honor him in the way that he has prescribed. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. We honor God. Through obedience to his word. When we we honor him by giving him what he says belongs to him, he honors us by fulfilling his word in our lives. And and I feel like I need to say this. God longs to fulfill his word in our lives. He doesn't make empty promises. He doesn't say something that he doesn't intend to follow through on. A promise is a declaration of what God wants to do in our lives. But oftentimes, we have a part to play to release it. And as we are obedient, as we honor him through obedience, he will honor us by fulfilling his word. You know, I was praying earlier this week. And uh, does your mind ever wander when you pray? Anybody? Okay. Somebody else needs to preach. I need to sit down. Sometimes my mind will wander, and and sometimes it's actually God can be in the wandering, and so I'm I'm just praying and spending time with the Lord, and all of a sudden I'm in this imaginary conversation with somebody, and in this conversation I I just said uh, how you doing, and, and they said I'm a believer, and I said that's wonderful. I said what are you believing God for, and they said to me well, I. uh, kind of like that, I believe in God. And in my mind, in this imaginary conversation, I thought, you know, the the demons believe in God and tremble. And I didn't say that. Even in this imaginary conversation, I I just turned to him I said, well, what are you believing God for, believer? And I begin to think about that afterwards. Because, you know, yeah, faith is what activates our relationship with God. And we come into this relationship with God through faith. But do you know that God wants you to keep believing? He wants you to keep taking ground. He wants you to keep moving forward, to activate your faith. I'm a believer. See, things happen in the lives of a believer. Believers shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. They will cast out demons. See, a believer is someone that's apprehending things in God all the time. So when I say I'm a believer, and you, if you ask me, what are you believing for? I'll tell you. I'm believing God for lots of things. I'm moving forward. I'm active in in my faith. I don't don't want to just passively believe in God. I want to activate. Now, see, faith is like a muscle. And see, the thing about a muscle is the more you use it, the more you uh, put restraint against it, the stronger it grows. The more you exercise your faith the stronger your faith muscles get. Now here's an interesting thing. My son Paul is here. Now when Paul was about 10 years old, actually let's take it back to about 8 years old. Did you know that he had as many muscles in his body as I did? (laughs) But I had actually used mine longer and more. Now, I'm not some buff guy or anything, but I'm just saying that that as you get older and the more you exercise, the more you use your muscles, the more fit you become. And and so what I'm trying to say is God wants you to grab a hold of his promises and believe him. So what do you believe in God for? What promises are you standing on? You know, for a couple of weeks now, we've kind of laid this foundation in our life. We've been talking about the importance of honoring God with our tithe. And today, I really want to push beyond that. I want to talk about generosity. The New Covenant standard is generosity. And there are certain things that are really fun for me. One is praying for the sick, whether in a church environment or out on the street. The other one is being a blessing, and it's not always money. Sometimes it's time. Whatever you have to sow into somebody's life can be an amazing thing. But when you have money and somebody has a need for money, yes, that person is going to feel blessed, but you are going to be the most blessed because Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Proverbs 11, verse 24. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. Think about that. There's a paradoxical element to this passage of Scripture. There is one who scatters, yet increases more. Now, the truth is, there is a paradoxical element to the Scriptures in general. The kingdom of God is paradoxical in in general. The kingdom of God, that's why so many people have a hard time understanding it. I mean, after all, what does it say? In your weakness, he is made strong. You must humble yourself to be exalted. In order to live, you must die. In order to be filled, you must be hungry. In order to reap, you must sow. Can you see? The kingdom of God is paradoxical in nature. Summer, it's great to see you. Mickey said she ran into you at Walmart. Yeah, I was thinking about coming back. yeah, awesome. Okay, you guys do something else for a minute. I have to catch up. No. Yeah, isn't it? That's called a divine appointment, isn't it? God's timing. So, Proverbs eleven twenty There is one who scatters, yet increases more. There is one who withholds, hangs on to more than is right, but it leads to poverty. There, there is a picture being painted here of the contrast between a generous person and a stingy person. And the fruit or the outcome of both kinds of living. The generous person increases... The stingy person ends in poverty. That there is one who is always sowing, always giving, always blessing, and yet increasing all the more. Verse 25, the generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. See, it's an immutable principle of the kingdom of God that that functions both in the natural realm but also in the spiritual realm, and the principle is this: what you sow, you will reap more than you sowed. Now, that ask any farmer, that's the way it works in the natural. But it also works in the spiritual. What we sow, we will reap. Now, like I said, we're not always talking about money. There are different resources we can sow. There are different things that we can scatter. You can can sow time. You can sow love. You can sow prayer. You can sow different kinds of things. We're talking about anything that you can sow into someone else's life. How many of you know that sometimes what that person needs is just someone to sit down and listen to them? They They need you to sow time into their life. Because that that quality time lets that person know that somebody cares. And ultimately, that God cares for them. And and whatever we, we sow, we will reap. Or let me say it this way. You will increase in what you sow. You will decrease in what you don't sow. You will decrease in whatever you hang on to. Now, a biblical example of sowing things other than money, Proverbs 18, 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Or in other words, as you sow friendship towards others, as you show yourself friendly, you're going to reap friends. You're going to reap what you sow. As you sow wheat seeds... Into a field, you're not going to reap a crop of asparagus. You're going to get the crop of what you sow. It's part of the law of seed time and harvest that God established way back in Genesis. Every seed produces after its own kind. Now, one of the reasons, excuse me, we are going after generosity. One of the reasons it's, it's one of our core values as a church is because God is such a generous God. And, and, and we are in the process of becoming like him. Now, I was trying to think of another word <clears throat> other than generous to describe God. And, and so I, I, I did a synonym church, search, a synonym church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a synonym church, so they don't call it church, they call it gathering. So I did this search and, and one of the words I found was lavish. And in first John three one in the NIV says, How great is the love. The Father has lavished on us. I have that in notes, that we should be called children of God. I have that in, there it is, there it is. Now some translations say, that, though that's different, different notes. I, w- I was reading the, the scripture, uh, 1 John 3, 1, there it is, there it is. Now notice that some translations translate it bestowed on us. Uh, Other synonyms I've found for the word generous are are bountiful, abundant, overflowing. But the word I I think I like the best is extravagant. How many know that song, Your Love is Extravagant? You don't know it? Wow. Wow. That was an acoustic guitar. I Grab it. Um, It's a description of what God is like. In your notes, the word extravagant beautifully describes what God is like. God is an extravagant God. Everything he does, he does with extravagance. Now, let me give you a definition for, for extravagance. Lavish, excessive, uh, exceeding reasonable bounds, lacking restraint, going beyond what is deserved or justified. That is so God. Now let me illustrate that with a, a portion of scripture, maybe several if we have time. First John chapter 2 is the wedding feast of Cana of Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were invited to the celebration. And Jesus' mom happened to be there. John chapter 2, versiculo 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, you know, maybe this was a wedding that involved a part of the family of Mary and Jesus's. We don't know. But if, if not, obviously a friend of the family. Verse 2. Now both Jesus And his disciples were invited to the wedding. Now, we don't know who got married. We don't even know any of the other guests. We only know that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And Jesus and his disciples were attending that wedding feast. Now, Jesus had not done any miracles yet. None. Ninguno. Verse 3, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Now, I guess maybe in that culture, to run out of wine before an event was over would be maybe a a social embarrassment, but why would Mary approach Jesus with this problem? She obviously has some expectation in her statement. What, was she expecting Jesus to go out and buy a bunch of wine somewhere? I don't think that's what she was asking. Now remember, Jesus has not done any miracles before this. He didn't have some kind of track record of miracles for Mary to base her expectation on. But Mary, remember, she had a clue who Jesus is, who Jesus was. She had had an angelic encounter with Michael, the archangel, announcing the arrival of Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit. And about three months later, Mary takes a trip to visit her aunt Elizabeth, who is six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And as soon as Mary walks into the room, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist jumps in her womb, and she begins to say some things prophetically to Mary about the child that she was bearing. I'm trying to say, Mary had a clue as to who Jesus was. Think of all the events that had taken place. Sorry, Cheryl. I'm talking too fast. Composure. This is being translated into Spanish, and so I have to slow down. Think of all the events that took place at Jesus' birth. And then afterwards in the temple, the, the devout Simeon who God had told him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And, and then he took Jesus up in his arms in the temple and declared that now he could die. Or, or, or that the prophetess Anna who was in the temple that declared that, that he was the one who would redeem Israel. Mary had a clue who Jesus was. And she says to him, they have no wine. They've run out of wine. Verse 4, Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, I I want you to understand there is nothing derogatory in that statement. Now, in in our culture, if I had gone to my mom and said, woman, (laughs) it, it wouldn't have gone over so well. But in this culture, there's nothing derogatory about it. What does your concern have to do with me? What concern? Her concern was there was no more wine. And I think Jesus is saying, that's not my problem. My hour has not yet come. It's not time for me to step into doing miracles. Then Mary said, as if oblivious to what Jesus has just said, His mother said to the servants in verse 5, Whatever he says to you, do it. So Mary did give the problem to Jesus. And I want to raise an interesting thought here that we as God's people might have more influence with God than we tend to realize. It seems to me that Mary, in her interaction, with Jesus moved up the timetable of certain events and that Jesus stepped into releasing the supernatural before the hour that it was appointed to happen, that an adjustment was made in the timetable because of Mary's request. This is my question. Can we experience God things before their time? You know, David experienced a dimension of New Covenant relationship with God in the Old Covenant. Hebrews tells us that Mount Sinai was associated with the Old Covenant. But it also tells us that Mount Zion, you have come unto Mount Zion, is associated with the New Covenant. David set up a tent that they put the the very Ark of the Covenant in. Now, not behind a veil. Not like the old covenant. Not like behind a veil that once a year the high priest would come into and offer sacrifices. No, the Ark was like sitting in the tabernacle of David. There were no animal sacrifices. There was only the sacrifice of praise and worship and, and, and singing and giving glory to God, the fruit of their lips, giving thanks to their name. David stepped into something before his time. I'm trying to say that it's possible to step into things before their time because of our relationship with God pulling them into our time. Verse 6, now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. (laughs) Six water pots that that contain between 20 and, and 30 gallons. So let's just average them off at 25 gallons. Six times 25 gallons is 150 gallons. That's what those pots contained. So, verse 7, Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the rim. Mary had said to, to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And, and, and Jesus said to the servants, fill the water pots with water. And then, and then after they did, he said this to them, verse 8, And he said to them, draw out some now, and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. How many know this would be an act of faith? (laughs) But it's it's acts of faith that release the miraculous. Take some of the water that you just put in the water pots and take it to the master of the feast. So that's what they did. Verse 9. When the master of the feast had tasted the water... that that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. Now, obviously, I'm thinking the bridegroom maybe is the one responsible for the wine at the wedding feast. And he said to him, verse 10, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. You're, you're, you, you've saved the, the best for last. What is he saying? He, he's saying, usually at a wedding like this, they serve the really good wine first, then when everybody gets a little bit tipsy, they bring out the inferior stuff, and no one really notices. But you've saved the expensive wine, the fine wine, for last. Whew. Verse 11. This beginning of science did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is how Jesus would manifest his glory? By making a bunch of wine? What a crazy first miracle to do. He made the equivalent of 750 bottles of fine wine. Not not the inferior stuff. Not, not ND2020. <laughs> I, I don't even know if they still make that. They, they did when I was younger. Uh, this was the good stuff. The, the expensive stuff. $50, $100 a bottle wine. This is how Jesus manifested his glory. And this is how he would make the disciples believe in him. By making a bunch of wine. Man, today it would have been written up in the National Enquirer. It would be shocking. Minister of the Gospel makes 150 gallons of wine out of water. This beginning of science Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. (laughs) He manifesting his glory would be making 750 bottles of expensive wine. Now, if if that isn't extravagant, I don't know what is. It so reveals the extravagant nature of God. What he did was exceeding reasonable bounds. It was lacking restraint. It goes beyond what is deserved or justified. In your notes, God is an extravagant God. He is extravagant in the things he does. His love for you is extravagant. It's lacking restraint, exceeding reasonable bounds, the love that he has lavished on you. Do you remember the story when Jesus realizes, man, we've got all these people here? And he says to his disciples, what are we going to do to feed all these people? And one of the disciples said, man, we could spend you know, what was, I think it was like three months wages and, and not get enough food for people to have any more than just a teen a little bit. And, and uh, then one of the disciples said, well, you know, uh, we do have a boy's lunch here, but what is that among this? God will often take the little we have to release his provision through. And so... Jesus immediately said, now that he has a boy's lunch, he said, have everybody sit down in groups of 50. So, so he, he blesses the food, and, and they have this, this time where everybody gets fed. In fact, it's, it implies that everybody was satisfied. They didn't need any more, and then they gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. Do you realize that they ended up with more than they started with? That is extravagant. That's the way God is. Speaking of extravagant, he doesn't just want you to have some joy. He wants you to have fullness of joy. And when when the Bible uses this word fullness, it doesn't mean like, you know, up to here. It means overflowing. It means you can't contain it. It It means it's getting all over everybody that's around you. Fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Whew. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. John 16, 24. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You you having fullness of joy seems to be important to Jesus. I want my joy to be in you and that your joy would be overflowing, full. God is an extravagant God. When God... have, Have you ever thought about this? When God wanted to have companionship, he created mankind. We were created for his pleasure. But he didn't just create this planet to put us on. Think about it. He created a whole universe. This planet is just a tiny planet in a huge solar system. And our solar system is just one member of a vast, the vast Milky Way galaxy with over 300 billion stars. Now there's an estimated between 300 and 500 billion galaxies. In the universe, God is extravagant in what he does. The salvation that he purchased for you and for me, the love that he has for us is extravagant. It is lavish. It is excessive. It is exceeding reasonable bounds. It is lacking restraint. It is beyond what is deserved or justifiable. Our God is an extravagant God. He is a generous God, giving freely. And he wants us to step into that. He wants us to become like he is. Jesus said, freely you have received. Freely give. Become a a, a vessel or a channel that he can flow through. And touch other people's lives. (laughs) Do you imagine God with a a clenched fist or an open hand? Is the God you worship a giver or a taker? I want to encourage you to think about that. In fact, you know, there are certain things that are well worth time and meditation. There There are certain truths in the scripture that are so powerful and transformative in nature, that if we will take the time to kind of soak in those realities, it changes us. And we begin to reflect the truth of what those, the, the, the truth that is revealed in the scripture. We begin to reflect that to those around us. The God of the Bible has an open hand. Psalm 145, 16 says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The message translation says, generous to a fault. You lavish your favor on all creatures. It's important for us to see God as a generous, as an extravagant God. Why? Because we become like what we honor and worship. As we behold God as, ex- as extravagantly generous, our, our hearts will bloom and, and, and we will begin to experience and flow in greater generosity. Our church will become a place of, of generosity and a source of hope to others. This church began out of a Baptist church that died. There were seven members of the church left. And uh, they had invited us to come pastor them. Now, see, we had interim pastored them before they died. Uh, while the pastor, the pastor that was pastoring the church, he got commissioned to Iraq. He was in the National, what do they call that part? where? You're, Guard. National Guard, Navy, and he was a chaplain. And so... Uh, we went over to the house where the seven people were, and we, and we said, I think what we need to share with you the vision that we carry in our heart so that you understand what it is because I don't, we don't want to take you where you don't want to go. And so they, they grabbed it. They grabbed the vision. And we met in our living room for six weeks, and then I, I had this friend that... Um, he, own, he owns Smith Insulation, and uh, he, one day I was having lunch with him. He said, hey, I, you know, uh, why don't you meet in the front of my building here? He wasn't using it, and it was absolute ridiculous price. I mean ridiculous. Now, I've known him since first grade, though. <laughs> I put in my time with him, and uh, then we outgrew the front part of it, and we finished up the, the, second ba- the back part of it, and again, ridiculous price. Ridiculous. Um, but we, we were looking. We needed to find another place to meet because we were outgrowing that facility. And uh, we were trying all kinds of things. I mean, I, I went to a couple different Adventist churches just to see if we might be able to meet on Sunday with the, you know, the theoretical idea that they don't use their church on Sunday. And nothing, nothing was opening up. Nothing was happening. Now, I, at that point in time, Mickey and I, we were traveling to Mexico, Fairmount. We still are. And uh, there was a couple there that pastored a church, that they had, you know, they got some property, but they were meeting in a tent on the property, because they 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 they, they needed to build something, and. Uh, they were very close friends of ours, and so I, we're, we're, at, we're at my house. We're having a, a leaders meeting, and I, I just said, what would you think about sowing some money into that church building project? You know, we're believing God for a building. Maybe we need to sow. Maybe we need to sow. And, man, they grabbed it. Uh, you know, and, and they all agreed, yeah, let's, let's send $10,000. We're going to send them $10,000. And so I, I thought it would be a simple thing to do because, you know, you, I just transfer it from our bank to their bank. And we tried to do that over and over and over again, and it just didn't work. Uh, apparently, there's something magic about $10,000 that brings in another level of scrutiny. And we could not get it done. Finally, I take $10,000, and I fly to Mexico City and go to Texcoco. Uh, You know, we're telling them, we're trying to get this money to them, and so I go there. And it's it's a short trip. I'm only there for a week, got to minister in a bunch of situations. And, And those people were so, I mean, not just the pastors, but the whole congregation was so appreciative. In fact, it ignited something in them to help them raise the rest of it. And the next time we were there, they had a building. And um, so I'm, uh, I'm excited about this because I really believe that sometimes you have to step out in faith to, to see happen what you're believing God for. Sometimes you have to do things that, that's, that are paradoxical in nature. Give away money to have a building. So I'm flying home, and I'm I'm sitting on the outside seat, and there's a a mom and her daughter. And they are Mexicans uh, flying to the States to visit with some family. And when we were almost landed, when we were almost in the States, I felt like God told me, see, I had an incredibly unusual amount of pesos on me. Now, I always come back with pesos, and we always use them next time we go. In fact, it's nice to have some Mexican money before, you know, if we need to buy some things once we get into Mexico, before we have a chance to go and turn uh, our money into, into, into Mexican money. And, and so <laughs> I, uh, I had an incredible amount, thousands and thousands of pesos in bills. And... Uh, I felt like God said, I want you to give it to that woman. And I want you to tell her that I am a generous God, much more generous than she realizes. And, that, and, and I felt like God said, I want her to see me as I really am. And so we're just about landed And and I'm trying to give this money to her, and she's refusing to take it, because she's not poor, she's not without means. You know, she she didn't want to be on the end of anybody's, you know, handouts, so to speak. But I explained to her. I said, the reason I feel like God told me to give this money to you, is because He wants you to see Him differently than you see Him right now. He's not just a religion. He's not just a bunch of rules. He's a God who loves you and lavishes his love upon you. And, and he, he's extravagant in nature. And so I, I said, why don't you, when you get back to the States, just take your family out for ice cream. Well, that, that just hit her right or something. And so I, I had these bills all wadded up. Now, now <laughs> I had the big bills hidden, wrapped around with all these smaller bills. You know, and so I went to hand it to her, and she just took it and put it in her pocket. And I remember thinking, oh, God, when she realizes what's there, let it just enlarge how she sees you. Let it change her perspective of you entirely. Now, I absolutely believe part of the reason that we have this building today is because of the generosity of our church to sow into another church's building program. Generosity brings increase. Stinginess leads to poverty. But hear this. Generosity begins on the inside. Prosperity begins on the inside. And see, that's what meditation does, is it it gets the word of God inside of you. Let me say it like this. Even before you were created... God saw you in his heart. And he had dreams. And he had visions of what your life was to look like. And he those those pictures on the inside of God were transferred into this book, The Word of God. And see, words paint pictures. And the Holy Spirit is the artist. And if you will let him, he will take the word of God and paint those those visions, paint those dreams that God has for you on the canvas of your heart. And see, when you see it, everything changes. When you see it, faith's not a problem. Believing is seeing. (laughs) Seeing is believing. I'm not talking about seeing it out here. I'm talking about seeing it in here. So, prospering, you know, John, we we looked at a scripture last month. Uh, We were doing this series on thriving versus surviving. And uh, one of our key scriptures was 3 John 2. John says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, even as your soul prospers. The part we need to catch is, In direct relationship to our souls, prospering. In accordance with our souls, prospering. Prosperity begins with a prosperous soul. You receive things inwardly first. And then it begins to affect the world around you. When you begin to see God as a generous God, you naturally begin to take on his nature because you realize that God is your source. You're not your source. Your job is not your source. God is your source. And it changes everything. Generosity flows out of an attitude of thankfulness. A thankful heart. A, a thankful person doesn't take anything for granted. And they know how to show appreciation. It's a heart that values others. Now, I, I want to close with a passage of scripture. What time is it? 38. 38? Okay. Thank you for this extra time. It just takes all the... I, I don't get flashed as much back there because I know I have more time. I I want to close with a passage of scripture that really impacted me as a young person. Uh, As I was pressing into the very things that we're talking about today, this passage is about trusting in God as your source and not trusting in your ability, your education or your skills or, or any of your natural resources. And see, when we honor God... With the first fruits of our increase, what we're doing is I'm declaring the lordship of Jesus over my financing, uh, my finances. It, it's a demonstration of your faith in God and not trusting in the flesh. It's a demonstration through obedience. So let's look at this passage, Jeremiah chapter 17. This passage is contrasting trusting in man versus trusting in God. Verse five. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. When you you are trusting in man, in man's abilities, even in natural resources, you are departing from the Lord. You are not trusting in God. And then it describes what life is like for this individual who trusts in man, who makes flesh his strength. Verse 6. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert. So far, it doesn't sound great. Just saying. He shall be like a shrub in the desert <clears throat> and shall not see when good comes, but shall, be, shall inhabit the, the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited. He's like a shrub in the desert. Not a great picture. He doesn't experience even when good things are happening around him. He misses out on This person lives in parched places in the wilderness. But what about the other person in the contrast? The person who trusts in the Lord. Verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and in whose hope is the Lord. He is the man who trusts in the Lord who hopes in the Lord, whose confidence is in the Lord. Then it describes the life of this individual. Verse 8, for he should be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and shall not fear when he comes. Just as the other individual doesn't experience the good around them, this individual doesn't experience the bad around them and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So this person is flourishing. His roots are by a river. And even in the year of drought, he continues to prosper. He's not anxious. He's not worried. He continues to bear fruit. He's tapped into a supernatural source. He's tapped in to the God that he's given his life to. The God that he trusts in, that God is his source. And he's not experiencing what everything everyone around him is experiencing. He's tapped into the kingdom of God. Even in the year of drought, he's not affected. He continues yielding fruit. Worship team, can you come? I, I want to encourage you to take this passage home with you today. And take it into your week. Meditate on it. Let it begin to get inside of you. Let words paint pictures. Let the the pictures from God's word, let the Holy Spirit take those words and paint those pictures on the canvas of your heart of these spiritual realities. Seeing is believing. When you see it on the inside, then you just step right into it. Listen stand. You guys doing okay? You're quiet. Was this such a heavy topic? or <laughs> Pray this prayer with me, Father, you are a generous God. You are extravagant in your generosity. Help me to embrace a heart of generosity. Take me into radical generosity. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship for a moment together.
2: today I felt like the Lord was putting um, a word on my heart to share. Um, It is about um, when we have a persistent issue. It could be physically or it could be a burden that we're carrying like for a loved one. When we give those burdens to the Lord and then they come back or when things in our body are persisting, sometimes there's something at the root of that and that's why they're persisting. And I just wanted to encourage you to seek the Holy Spirit. He loves us so much. And he does want us healed and whole and free. And he has those open arms of love. There's no condemnation. And he says, I want to partner with you for the deeper work. As you're ready, as you're seeking, he will lovingly show you, hey, that's at the root of that. Let me help Let me help you take care of that. And so the word is, like, don't be afraid to go deeper with the Lord. He already knows everything in our hearts and lives, right? Even when we don't know something. Um, And that he just wants to heal us at a more foundational level. So that word is he wants to heal us deeper at a more foundational level. Be encouraged to go deeper with that, with the Holy Spirit.
0: Amen. So good and so true. The Holy Spirit will untangle you if you ask him. That's what we're talking about here. Thank you, Lord. I I just want to take a minute this morning, if you're watching online or if you happen to be here this morning, and you don't really know the Lord personally, maybe you've gone to church, maybe you've done religious things a lot, but you've never had that moment where you've embraced Jesus as your Savior. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. It's the most important thing that you can do. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I want to know you. I want to know what my life is about. Please forgive me my sins. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness Jesus come into my life make me whole make me new show me why you created me I give you my life today Amen If that was you today welcome to the family of God A family that shares the same Heavenly Father. I want to invite prayer teams to come and be available to pray this morning with people. The benediction I want to give you is Psalm 115, verses 14 and 15. May the Lord give you increase more and more. You and your children, may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. God bless you, saints. Have a great week.